Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we talk about the ins and outs of being a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, from opening the mission call to coming home and all the blessings in between. So sit back and enjoy the show. We sit down, and I'm not thinking this is an influential, consequential moment, but he said, I've lived here all of my married life. I've never let a stranger walk through that door, and I've let you through why are you here? He said, every time I went to tell you guys to leave, something happened. And so talk to me. Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach. And today we are joined by Dave and Drex. Um, Zach, you kind of have a special, unique, Dave's your uncle. You want to tell us about him? <laughs> <laughs> he is Dave. I've known Dave for a very long time. Um, and in some of the other episodes, I've talked about priesthood examples growing up, not having a, a father in my house that held the priesthood, and Dave was one of them. Um, and right before we were talking, or right before we hit record, uh, I was reminded that Dave actually baptized me a long time ago, 20 plus years ago, <laughs> 22 years ago. It was an honor. Yeah, right? Obviously, you didn't remember that you did, so it was just, <laughs> it was a, it meant, it meant a lot to me, though. Good. But yeah, Dave, uh, Dave's a good buddy of mine. Uh, I think I would consider him a friend first before an uncle. I think, like, I don't know, you're just a good dude, and I've always felt like he's a just a good friend. <laughs> well, thanks, Zach. I feel the same way. <laughs> that's, a, I appreciate that's a good it. uncle. Glad that's you're a, part of my family. Yeah. it's a high compliment. Uh, Dave, you want to introduce us to Drex? Yeah, so... Drex Davis sitting next to me. Drex and I grew up together. We uh, were in, well, I guess we went to elementary school together mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> we were in the same ward growing up until we were, I guess, about 14 or 15. And at that point, they uh, reorganized our stake and put us into two different wards. But we, you know, went to school together, had lots of mutual friends. And uh, then we had the um, great pleasure of both getting called to the same mission in. Buenos Aires, Argentina. I went on the mission about nine months before Drex, and then I was in Argentina and got the notice that Drex had got called to my same mission. I was pretty pumped about it. But uh, anyway, um, the I guess what we're here to talk about is the fact that Drex <laughs> and I actually at one point in our mission became companions, and it was, uh, it was an amazing four or five months that we were together. And uh, we have been uh, close friends ever since. I mean, you're always, there's always something special with all of your companions, mm-hmm. uh, even the ones that you don't necessarily get along with. You still, you, you share something that, that nobody else could understand. But I think with Drex and I, there's always been a really strong bond ever since the mi- the mission because not only the, the great experiences we had, but because we had that, that uh, friendship before the mission, it just, I don't know, there's a, we're, we're uh, he, he, I consider him a brother. Yep. Awesome. So let's just jump into it. Dave, you got your mission call first. What was the moment like opening your mission call? Back in the day. Back in the day, we used paper. <laughs> yeah, right, right. This <laughs> is just, you guys are the, like the oldest missionaries we've had. No, no, no. Oh, oh, we, sorry. We, you had the guy from Navajo. We a, yeah, we did. Yeah. He's in, he was in his 70s. So, so what, what, what was that like? So, yeah, this was what, 1994? I had just gotten out of diapers. No, 93, I got my call. I was born in 92. Continue. So, <laughs> so um, I was actually called by President Benson, and then six months into my mission, he passed away, and then six months later, President Hunter passed away, and so I served under three different presidents. Wow. Benson, Hunter, and, and Hinckley. Um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, 
you know, like everybody was, was concerned, where am I going to go? I really wanted to go foreign. I just seemed really exciting. Um, like I where we grew up, there were a ton of missionaries going out on their missions. And so I had lots of friends that were going to different places. And, you know, my brother was on his mission in Washington, DC, um, which was about as foreign as you can get being in the <laughs> States. But, um, I just was really excited to, to, to figure out where I was going. And I just remember opening the call and I read Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I thought, oh yeah, like I knew that, <laughs> you know, like that was the feeling that I had. Um, and, uh, so I, I you know, coming down, uh, to, didn't even know that I was going to learn Spanish. I figured I'd go to Argentina and speak and eat tacos and stuff like that. It's not anything like that, yeah. but, uh, it was, uh, it was a good time. What, and I'm trying to remember cause we had a guy from Argentina, a missionary. What's the, they don't call it Spanish. They call it Castellano. 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 Yeah. And at that time, was it just Buenos Aires or had they split it or North and South or? Yeah, there was like nine, 10 missions in Argentina. Oh, wow. Buenos Aires itself had three North, South and West. Okay. So what you were South? We were South. I had a friend that was in North and a friend that was in West. Um, but, um, we were South. And, uh, lucky, luckily enough, I get down to Argentina and, and my mission president was a guy from our, from Arizona oh, as well. Really? He's from Pima out in, mm-hmm. um, by Safford and yeah, out in the Gila Valley there. And so, um, he, and he had served as an Institute, um, teacher at Arizona state. And he was actually the first seminary teacher at Westwood high school. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. So it was just this really small world and it was really uh, neat to find out that I, I got to serve. I mean, and if you you'd probably get president Crockett on here, I mean, he, yeah. he, I he's would say, I, yeah, I would say of all, he's probably top three people that ever lived in Arizona, like president Kimball, president Crockett, and I don't know, Alice Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a different company. But. <laughs> I don't know. He had to keep Arizona, the, the alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so Drex, Dave's on his mission and I guess, tell, tell us about your thoughts. You had mentioned maybe that you'd remembered the, the mission farewell talk and all that. Yeah. I don't remember precisely what Dave talked about, but I remember going over to his house that evening and seeing the, I think you had a shirt, you know, that had Argentina on. I remember this and I remember thinking about, you know, Argentina being this place in the world I hadn't really been aware of before. And, uh, um, just saying goodbye to him thinking, you know, we won't see each other for almost three years. Oh yeah. I the was overlap yeah. for, for nine months later. And you know, that, that was kind of that no, no premonitions, no feelings just, uh, but I do remember that experience. So Drex, what did you do to prepare for your mission? Um, so Mission preparation for me was really interesting because I was the youngest kid in my graduating class. Maybe there was one other person young. So every, everyone I was friends with had left before I did. And I felt like I had a lot of great examples. Um, I was hearing from people writing letters. I couldn't wait to get out in the field. I think everyone who wants to serve a mission has something they need to do differently to prepare to be a good missionary or great missionary. And for me, um, you know, I was praying as a lot of us do about what I need to do to prepare. And I, I actually, in my prayers, I asked what, what do I need to do? And I got this very distinct impression that I needed to change my music consumption. And, uh, I've always been a big music guy and I've always listened to everything. And when I say everything, I mean, 
everything. And I had, I had some influences that were not very good mm. through my music. And I knew I needed to change that. And so, um, I tried to just not listen to that stuff, but it was too hard. So in my prayers, I had this feeling you need to like get rid of that stuff in your life. So I got this huge pile of all of this music, anything that wasn't really, didn't really bring the spirit in my life. And my youngest brother and I had a big bonfire in the backyard and we just burned it all. I thought you were going to say you just gave it to him. <laughs> I, that's why we burned it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so a smart way. That's right. And these are CD, CDs or Yeah, CDs cassettes. and cassettes. Nice. Yes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So Dave's been on his mission and then you get your mission call. Tell us what that moment was like. So uh, that moment was interesting. I had had my wisdom teeth removed the morning that my call <laughs> arrived in the mail and my mom had run out to get um, painkillers for me, but I told her I was fine not to hurry. I was still numbed. Um, and then the numbing wears off. It wore off <laughs> and we didn't have cell phones at that time. We're dating ourselves, but there was no way to get a hold of her. So by the time she got home, I was in excruciating, like delirious pain. <laughs> and I had my mission call to open. So my dad had come home from work and we're sitting there and we have this video somewhere, but I'm puffy cheeked. I can't even talk. I mumble the words. I say, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I'm like, I got to go to bed <laughs> in that moment. I, I really don't think it dawned on me you know, that this was the same place David gone. Um, I didn't know where Argentina really was. I couldn't have pointed it out on a map. I knew it was South of Arizona. Yeah, I thought it was Brazil. Like I thought it was like a, a state in Brazil or something. <laughs> you're saying in your delirious state or you're saying even after I'm saying even after, but in my, in my delirious state, I hadn't made connections. And then later I found out I actually had a lot of family ties to Argentina. My grandfather had served there in one of the early missions. I had an uncle who served wow. there. So then it became more meaningful to me that that's where I was headed. That's awesome. So you go to the MTC and then eventually you two see each other. Tell us, maybe Dave, tell us the first time that you guys saw each other in the mission field. Yeah. So I get a letter from Drex that says that he's coming to the mission and I got all excited about it. And of course, like I told you, our mission president was an amazing man. And I, I sat down with him and I said, Hey, guess what? I got a friend that's coming to the mission. And he says, well, you know, I was actually thinking of making you a trainer. Maybe that'll work out. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I was really excited about it, you know, and so I'm, you know, kind of looking forward to the day and I write Drex and I think I tell him that, or I tell him, Hey, you know, let me know. And so Time comes and he's coming into the mission and I see on the transfer sheets that here's the new missionaries and I get a notice that I'm going to be a trainer. And so I said, here it is, you know, president is making me Drex's trainer. Like, this will be so awesome. Two guys from the same high school. We're going to be, you know, going to rip it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just pumped. Did you just man. do the Mountain View? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was a rock uh, on. And, and rock you on. had been out, what, nine, ten months already? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you've been out a little longer while. because I had a couple months. Time, in the yeah. By so the time he got down there, it was a like year. a year. Yeah, a oh, year. Okay. Okay. It was a year. And uh, so then we get there and we, we all met at president's house. They have all the greenies there and then all the, the missionaries who are going to be trainers and, um, you know, we're eating lunch and we're having a good time. We're talking and Drex is giving, feeding me in on all this gossip, you know, what's been going on. So-and-so and, wrote Dear John yeah, so-and-so. exactly. Somebody <laughs> got married. No way, you know. <laughs> um, so then president goes, okay, so now we're going to divide up the companions. And then you're going to go out to your areas. And he, he says, uh, 
you know, he points and he says, Elder Davis, you're going over here with this guy. And, uh, you know, this other elder, you're going to go with Elder Haynes. And I'm, I was like, wait, wait, wait. He, he didn't give me Drex. Like, why am I not Drex's trainer? And I was really kind of upset about it. And, um, you know, I felt betrayed and I felt like, why, you know, I thought we were, we were going to be bros. It's going to be awesome. We're going to tear it up. <laughs> but, you know, it, and, uh, I, I talked to him later about it, and I said, President, I thought you were going to make me his trainer. And he says, I was. That was the plan. But I woke up that morning, and it didn't feel right. And so I put him with the other guy, and I put the other guy with you, and that felt right. And it actually, in hindsight, at the time, that was hard for me to accept. But in hindsight, as I look at it, the experiences I had, I wasn't ready for what the Lord had in store for Drex and I. And I had to go through some other things and I needed to learn more about myself and about the Lord that I could have only learned through those other companions that I had. And they were a blessing to me that I was able to serve with those other companions before. And then luckily, you know what, it was about six months later, five, five months later, we, um, at that point, and then all of a sudden we were made companions. And then I was like, well, I wasn't waiting for it now. Like, you know. and Dave, it was so much better that I could actually communicate. In yeah. Castellano, you yeah. know, thinking about mm. that, like that, that, that wouldn't have been as, it would have been a frustration. Yeah. So Drex, tell us about your point of view of being in the mission home. You hadn't had probably the conversation with president Crockett. Of no. Put, you know, let's, let's, I just, team but up, I, you know. I saw Dave and I just knew we were going to be companions, yeah. right? Cause why else would he be here? Right. Yeah. I was really excited <laughs> about it and we had a great time catching up and I was super sick at that time and hadn't slept a wink on the flight. I'd gotten picked up a cold. So I don't remember like a lot of the detail, but I remember that. And then, um, all of a sudden kind of announced it and I thought, well, that was head fake. So it really like, felt <laughs> yeah. totally like a psych. Um, <laughs> But then uh, you're thrown into the work and you're new and everything's overwhelming and it just kind of receded. But I, I really always knew That's that we point. were going to end up together. Like I strongly felt that would be the case. And I looked forward to it. That's what, awesome. What did you learn? It, it sounded like Dave needed to learn some lessons to prepare for your experiences together. What did you learn kind of being, I mean, obviously the language and the handle of the language, you know, um, I need to be, I needed to be humbled um, I think like, I, I would not have, um, uh, I needed to have some hum really humbling experiences so that I fully appreciated that experience that we had together because, um, I had, I had a, a good trainer. I had a good second companion. I, I loved him. I had formative experiences. Um, and it was, it was, it was quite difficult. It was really hard. Learning language was difficult for me. I just needed to be brought to a state where I was really teachable mm -hmm. and I needed to go in, um, just open and, and, and ready to learn and learn from Dave. Uh, he was, I mean, he was in many ways, you know, he, ta he taught me a lot of things I hadn't learned yet. Sounds like this was really softening both of you for, for your time together. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that is something that I think everybody all mission mission aside, everybody kind of goes to the Lord with their own timeline and expectations <laughs> yeah. of certain things. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things need to happen between, you know, the time you go to the Lord versus, you know, when anything is realized, right? So whether that's being humbled or getting closer to your father in heaven, there's a lot of things that can happen in between to prepare you guys. And that sounds like, you know, from what you guys are telling me and Jordan, that that was a, a major 
impact in your mission. And then when you guys came together, it was, it was more meaningful. Yeah. But I, I think like direct says the, the humility aspect, when we became companions, we sat down and we realized that that wasn't by chance. And we said, okay, if, if there's some grand design that the Lord has in store for us, we need to figure out what that is and we need to do it. For us to get to that point, we had to be humbled before that to say... Yeah, because you would have been the... Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Two bros, we're going to kill Argentina. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, good thing there was no Instagram back then. Just, <laughs> right, like, Insta would have blown up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, so, so we both, you know, I think both of us had to get to a point where when we became companions, we saw it as a blessing and as an opportunity to do something great in the name of the Lord and, yes. and to be instruments in his hands. And we wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have been ready. I don't think directs would have been ready for that. Had we been companions before. Totally. We, we both had to be humbled to a point where we were like, okay, Lord, we see that you're the one in charge. Now show us what's next. So uh, let's, I don't know, Jordan, do you, uh, I want to jump right to it. I yeah. mean, how, how did, how, how did you guys find out you were being companions in the first place? How did transfers work back then? Honestly, I don't even remember. I think Sunday night you just get a, you a, a notice call. and you say, hey, Wednesday is P-Day. You're going to be, you know, you're going to this area. One way they used to do it is we'd all meet in one train station. So yeah. you'd get up and yeah. everybody would go to one train station. Everyone, and then Everyone packs. And yeah. That, that's how they did that. Yeah, and then show. everybody would go back to the area. And so just waste your whole P-Day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, so, no strong feelings there. No, no, not at all. <laughs> you know, once a month, blowing up. You know? <laughs> And still got to write mom a letter. Still gotta, I, can, I still got laundry to do, just, man. Just to clarify, P-Day is preparation, preparation day, day. For, for missionaries. And so it's kind of the day off of doing work and more preparing for the rest of the week. So yeah. it's nice to kind of get some down. So you'd spend the whole day going on a train, yep. getting to picking up your new companion and coming back. But so we came back and, you know, I think for probably the first week or so, it was, you know, kind of a... Yeah, you know, catching up and tell me about gossip. Oh, yeah, did you hear about so and so? And you hear about this? And you hear about this? And then, and then I think we spent a little bit more time really getting to know each other on a deeper level that maybe we uh -huh. hadn't in high school, you know, and and because you spend so much time together, and we didn't have bikes or anything, so we just walked. I mean, we'd walk ten miles a day on our mission, and and so we, you know, I just remember walking down the streets and telling each other about girlfriends we'd had in high school and, you know, things that didn't work out and, uh -huh. you know, conflicts we had with, with sports coaches and all that kind of stuff that, that I think we kind of got to know each other a little better, a lot, a lot of de lot deeper level. And then I, I don't remember at what point, but at some point we just sat down and we said, okay, this, you know, it's, it, what are the chances the two guys that grew up that, you know, lived half a mile from each other that known each other since the kindergarten would end up as missionary companions. There's gotta be a bigger hand in this. What's, what does the Lord want out of this? Why, why would he do this now? Why would he do this with us? Why would he do this here in Argentina in this area? And, uh, and so we, we just made it a, our mission to figure out that reason why. And, and so at the time in Argentina, there was a lot of, part member families that would get baptized. And it was always a real struggle for those part member families. You know, anytime mom and the kids would join the church, but dad wouldn't go or, you know, whatever, it always just created a hard thing. And we, you know, I think we just realized that if the Lord's behind this, he wants families here. 
So we're going to try to find families. We're going to do everything we can. And every prayer we're going to say, every fast we're going to do, everything we work towards is going to be, let's find families that we can bring back to the church or that we can bring to the church or that we can be instruments and bring into the church. And that was our goal. Yeah. We really just saw that, um, you know, Dave and I, we, we saw, we looked around, we were like, look, we're going to maximize people's chances for having the most full experience in the gospel if they have a support structure in their home. And we know that's not always possible. That's often an ideal, but we thought that this ward we were in could really use that. And so, uh, I mean, there's any number of things we could have talked to, we could talk about until we got to that point, but that became a focus to us. And we just said, we are going to talk to every single family we see every moment of every day. And so it was almost ridiculous because it's like, Oh, there's another one. We, we got to go talk because we felt like if we wanted to teach somebody, then we had to sort of um, notice the opportunities in front of us to, to introduce ourselves. And so it was just a continual, I mean, we talked to every, I don't remember a time where we weren't talking to people, not, not initially, but within two weeks, yeah, it was, was like, I was going to ask, cause you, you're together, you know, each other. So there's, there's, it's always fun to talk to someone from home and you can kind of, you know, re- release some stress and, and whatever, but like the dynamic of your companionship, did you start off like talking to everyone or it sounds like were there some kinks to work out or like, what was the turning point when you guys were like, Hey, we're here to accomplish something special. Let's go do it. I mean, I, I think we, bo- we could both speak to it. We, we did have certain kinks to work out. Um, you know, Dave was, uh, the zone leader of our zone. So he had additional responsibilities beyond, you know, just our companionship. And I, I'd never been a companion to his own leader before I needed to be supportive that way. Uh, I do remember that a uh, general authority named Claudio Costa came and spoke to us. And um, I remember he walked in to the meeting and he was holding a piece of paper above his head. He said, who lives in this area with, with these streets? And he read it. He said, um, I just shared the gospel with the person who drove me here and they're super interested. Go teach this person. And he walked wow. in awesome. He's, and he said, this is my, this is the third person today who I've sent to the missionaries. And he said, um, they're everywhere. You just got to open your mouth. You just got to talk. You just got to sincerely share your experience, why you're here, why it matters. It's not an act. Just be yourself. And, and he said, I promise you, if you'll just talk to everybody, you will find people. So we, I, for me, that was a real catalyst. Cause I, I wasn't really like that. Um, and I was, I was probably a little more timid, um, D- Dave was less timid than I was. I mean, he was already pretty bold, but I don't think you were talking to every single person no. every second of every day. Right. And we came out of there and we were like, like we were kind of lit up. Yeah. And I think for me, there was obviously a progression throughout your mission where, you know, as I, as I think back, I think I went on the mission for, for good intents, but in a lot of times I thought I was doing things to be the best at something, or I, I wanted to be better than other people. Yeah. It's a, it's a competitive mentality. You know? it, and it wasn't like I was focused on the Lord and focused on bringing people. So if, if I was opening my mouth, it was because I wanted to make sure that I hit my numbers, you, you know, like I was, yeah, I was you, coming or, from yeah. the wrong place. Uh-huh. I mean, it was still good. I was still doing the right things, but I think by that time in my mission, I had, I had gotten to a point where my relationship with the savior was such that I realized that my 
opportunity and my greatest blessing was just to testify of Jesus Christ every day to as many people as I could. And so I think that, you know, kind of at that same time, it was that realization that it wasn't just for a number. It wasn't just for, you know, checking something off the box and saying, okay, we're the best performing missionaries in the, in the, it was about doing the work of the Lord in his name. A common theme that we've found in interviewing people is being able to have a good sense of humor during the work and knowing each other before the mission was there. They're both, they're both chuckling there's, right there's now. Already, <laughs> we're just trying to think what's appropriate to tell <laughs> I, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, I, going back to other people that we've interviewed, one of the things is, you know, a mission is work, right? It's just like when your dad asked you to do yard work, you know, but there's a bit, there's a, a bigger meaning behind it. And sometimes and you, you come to a point in your mission where you have to learn to love the work or appreciate the work or laugh at the work. And I think that's kind of what Jordan was saying. Is you have to learn to have a sense of humor. I guess. And the reason why I bring that up, because it sounds like you came out of this meeting with Elder Costa and you were just like both lit on fire. Like, let's go, you know, baptize the world. But sometimes in doing all the work and like hustling, like it can get tiring real quick. Yeah. So what did you do to keep it lighter? What kept, kept that fire burning? You know, the thing is, there was nothing deliberate we set out to do. We just really enjoyed each other's company, and we laughed a lot. Like, it was, there's, there's just funny. When you're in the street all day, every day, you are seeing funny, yeah. funny things. Do you remember, Drex, we, we used to, you'd walk down the street, and you'd try to kick a rock between the other yeah. guy's legs while he's walking. Like, just dumb. Just, yeah, I remember that. I uh, destroyed so many shoes <laughs> yeah. doing that. Mom, rocks, I need, yeah. Mom, I need more rock ports. We would... Um, <laughs> We were we were talking about this earlier. Um, we were we were very good about getting up on time, and getting out the door on time, and we were not very good about getting home on time. And it was really for the right reasons. Um, but we didn't. We were often operating on not a lot of sleep. There were certain people who we could only teach certain um, times really late at night, particularly men who worked, and we thought it was more important that they be taught than that we be at home. And so I just remember being being really tired a lot. Sometimes we get slap happy, you know, and, and you're goofing around and we would, so we would often eat on the go. Like we were, we were eating breakfast on the go. We were grabbing snacks at night. And one day I, uh, they, they serve yogurt in a bag down there. <laughs> they do that in Brazil they, too. So you but like, it's you like, rip off it's like not quite milk, but it's not quite yogurt. It's, <laughs> it's like, like the elementary school milk <laughs> bags that they used to do. No, it's like a thicker, thicker bag material. Bag, yeah. 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 And you just like, you like cut off a corner of it. You bite off a corner and then you just squeeze it <laughs> into your mouth. So I, I remember, yeah, kind of gogurt. So I remember one time I, we were on a bus. I was sitting next to Dave and I rip off the corner of this bag and I put it up to my mouth and I start squeezing like always. <laughs> and I'm squeezing and nothing is coming out. And I just squeeze harder. <laughs> I turn to him and I'm like, this bag is stuck <laughs> and he's, he's covered in yogurt. Oh, Dave <laughs> was like going was sideways. sideways <laughs> really? Just like covered him in the stuff. <laughs> so he wasn't, he wasn't laughing. No, so I'm sitting there I like, was laughing. What am I supposed to do now? We're like four miles from home. I'm not walking home to change my shirt. Oh, man. You know? But just stuff like that. I remember one time somebody pulled up next to us and asked to borrow his pen 
And uh, they're in a car. They grab his pen and drive off and just leave him. It was the dumbest thing pen. ever. I just said, favorite like, pen. You know? Oh, because this, this guy was Do like. Do you remember the brand and the guy everything? Was, it was like one of those zebra pens, you know, like zebra a yeah. metal yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Somebody had sent it to me for Christmas or something. And, and this person's like, hey, elders, I'd like you to come to my house. And we're like, all right. And I go over and I, you know, we had the little, the little uh, day planners or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. So I pull that out. And I'm like, give me your address. And he's like, come over here closer. <laughs> you know, I don't want to yell it. And I said, okay. So I go over there closer next to his car. I was like, give me the address. I start writing and he grabs the pen and takes off. And I'm like, who would steal a pen? You know, I was about ready to, to wash to my feet the... on that city because of that. All, all the humorous things I've thought of have been at your expense. Yeah, Sorry. thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. I think that's, again, you have to learn to laugh at those. And it, it, yeah. it, all of, it was at your expense, but Drex benefited from it. I remember one time on my mission in Brazil, they had electrical fences on the top of front yards, you know? So yeah, like, sure you know, stop people yep. from going over. There was a big pile of sand that somebody had dumped that kind of like was up against this wall. So I could walk up and look into the backyard <laughs> and I saw a lady there and I waved to her. I said, Hey, and I touched the electrical fence and <laughs> boom, like, there's no, there's no, like, it was probably like two twenty. Yeah, sure, sure it was. I'm sure. sliding down this thing and my companion just looks at me and I'm like, my legs are like, uh, <laughs> he just starts laughing and I was just like, well, what just happened? Well, there was, it was the best day ever for him. Right. There was uh there was one time where <clears throat> we, we, we had gone on splits or I guess, what do they call them now? Divisions? No splits. So anyway, um, I had left the area and Drex had stayed in the area with some other missionary and they'd gone around and they told everybody that it was my birthday coming up and that my favorite food was the stuff called dulce de batata, which is potato fruit, potato, uh, candy? no sweet, sweet potato. potato. Yeah. It's oh. like jam, sweet potato jam. Right disgusting. I hated this stuff. Yep. And it was like the cheapest stuff you could buy. So it was just really poorly made. So I walk around, you know, a couple of days later, everybody's everywhere we go, people are handing me these big tubs of this <laughs> stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, I love it. Thank you. It's the best ever. I'm like, but that was actually payback. He's just dying. No. That uh, was payback. Okay. Are you sure? I thought mine was payback. No. <laughs> what what no. was the, what was I, that the was, first defense? That was payback All because right. we went to this house once and they, they served some beef milanesa, which is like a really flat pounded steak. And it like was a just, chicken fried steak. It was it was bloody. It was mooing. Like the, yeah, <laughs> they didn't cook it, it was they didn't cook it. And I'm I have my head down in my plate and I'm just ch- choke trying to choke this down. And I look up and he's eaten all of his. I'm like, you're done? And he's just nodding. Yes, yes. And then as we are leaving the house, he's like, look in your backpack. And he had had slid this bloody steak into my backpack. (laughs) He had not even eaten his. uh, So so mine was payback, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Maybe yours was payback. Who knows? There was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. So you're you're assigned to serve with one of your best friends, someone that you know, someone you're comfortable with. But comfort is the enemy of growth and passion, like two essential qualities as a missionary, were there any moments where you had to maybe lovingly correct each other or kind of, you know, be a little more disciplinary than friends typically are? I mean, I've got a story where, where yeah, you was go first. that was helpful and you, do you have one? Yeah. Oh, good. Maybe the same <laughs> one. Let's see. So, I was um, say, you both got pretty serious. Yeah. 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 yeah there, there, there was a time when, well, first of all, I was, I didn't like talking to people on the mission. I was very timid. And so any excuse not to really have an uncomfortable, uh, experience, I, I would, I would rationalize and I would, I would find a way out in, in, so Dave was always challenging me. And sometimes I would try and explain away things in an effort 
uh, without getting into details, but I would, I'd, I'd psych myself out. And I remember one night we were walking down the street and, um, Dave was trying to get us like, you know, to really exercise some faith in, in missionary work. And I was, I was in a little bit of a more faithless period. And he just like stops in the street. He's like, he's like, I actually think your words were, you always have dis- to discredit, um, the miraculous or something like that. And he said, and he challenged me to just have more faith. And I stopped and I was like, yeah, I am, I am being faithless. And it's because of my own insecurities. And it's, it's a way for me to sort of stay in my comfort zone. And he really challenged me to get out of that and, and put myself on the line. And so for the, the remaining, you know, three and a half months we were together, that was within the first couple of weeks. I, I put it on the line. I was never comfortable any day that we went out, you know, standing in line for every bus, we were talking to somebody and having awkward encounters, sometimes difficult encounters, but I always would go back to that conversation. Like I've got to have, you know, faith. And, uh, you know, so there was that challenge that really caused me to grow. Yeah. And I, my, the story I was going to use a little bit different. Um, there was a, it was on a preparation day and we were, um, getting ready to play basketball. We'd go down and walk down to the church and play basketball. And uh, they, the seminary class that met in the mornings there at the church had asked us to come down. And I think they had just asked us to tell a little bit about ourselves. Like it was really low key. It wasn't like we were giving a talk or sharing anything or teaching a lesson. And uh, Drex wanted to just wear our basketball clothes to, to present to the seminary class, you know, because <laughs> we're going to walk down. We're going to play basketball anyway. Two minutes after we meet with seminary, let's just go play basketball. And I, for whatever reason, I just felt like we should wear our shirts and ties. And he was, we're arguing about it and we're kind of going back and forth. He's like, that's stupid. And I'm like, I know it's stupid. I just, I feel like we should just wear our shirts and ties. And, and he said something to me that's always stuck with me is he said, I'll do it because you're my leader. And it wasn't because he believed in what he, what I was saying, but it, it, it really, you know, two things. Number one, it, it, uh, I was impressed by his faith as a follower of somebody, you know, I was his priesthood leader and he says, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow you anyway. But then number two, it made me feel as a leader, am I sure about what I'm doing? Am I, you know, is this just me or is this the Lord that I'm trying to follow and that I need to take that responsibility as a leader that if, if I'm going to have somebody who's going to do that, then I better make sure that I'm following the Lord's direction. That's awesome. Yeah. For the record, Dave was right. <laughs> Had we showed up in our, it wouldn't have been right, you know, in our basketball clothes walking in there, he, he was right. But I do remember that moment and, and, you know, and you expressed to me even at the time that, that caused you to reflect um, on that. I don't think it was such a great, I think I said it. I don't think I said, I'll do it because you're my leader. (laughs) I think I said, fine, (laughs) do it because you're my leader. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was a good experience for us. I mean, we we had some bumps early on and I was really glad because it was in the first couple of weeks and then we figured out, we just worked it out. Yeah. I think that happens with almost every companion because you're, 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 paired up with somebody completely different than you. And you always, you know, hit those little speed bumps, hopefully early on. But then once you get past it, it's all fine and dandy. You know, you guys can then put your head down and get to work. Yeah. I mean, it's inspired to have companions. I mean, obviously you guys are married and Drex and I have been married a lot longer. It's a, it's a, what a great environment to learn 
what it is to get it, you know, yeah. to, for both of you to come from different places, to have different goals, to have different ways you learn, to have different ways that you um, express yourself and, and both of those be right, you know, to, and to learn that. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, you know, I was probably a little too hard on my companions sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I think true. there's also like, there's always something to learn from every companion too. Right. Yep. And I remember uh, my second companion, uh, my journal entries went from my first companion being, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And then literally my second companion, one of my journal entries was my heart feels like a rock. That's it for the whole entire day. And it was like, I, I just, I was just despising where I was. And it was more of a mental thing too. You know, I was just down in learning a new language, but looking back, you know, even while I was on my mission still being like, okay, I went through that. Like I, I know what I need to do to make sure my companion doesn't go through that. Or I know I learned from his example, his bad examples. You know, there's a lot of bad examples of, of missionaries out there too, that you can learn from. Mm -hmm. So it's all, there's always something you can learn from every single companion and every single conversation you have, um, can be spun into something you can learn from. Yep. So you guys work out the kinks. You have this visit with Elder Costa. It sounds like that really helped you to to talk to everyone and want to and directs for you to not be so timid about it. And, you know, and that's so hard. As That's not everyone talks to everyone all the time. Like that's a, that, that's a learned skill. But who were some of the people as you're talking and, and trying to reach out to people, who are some of the families or the people you're able to reach out to and touch? Where, where do we want to start? Okay. Remarkable, I think, experience we had. So I guess before I start telling some of these experiences, I, I, you know, Drex and I talked about this before coming over here, that I just want, we saw miracles. And it wasn't because of that there was two guys that grew up together. It was because the Lord put all this stuff into place and it was necessary that he had two missionaries that had that level of understanding to be able to perform those miracles. I, you know, any miracles that the Lord performs, they are done. There's, there's a web of things of influences that turn into that miracle. And so, um, you know, the, the first one that we'll tell you is, is about, uh, brother Vargas. So brother Vargas was a, a less active member of the church. We didn't even know him. And one day, like we said, we walked. So where our house was and where our area was, I, I want to say it was like three mile walk just to get to our area. Mm -hmm. So we get up, we walk out and we go and we were going to visit the bishop before he went to work. And, and we got to the bishop's house and he says, Hey, did you hear brother Vargas is his kidneys are failing. He, he's asking for a blessing. And we're like, okay, well, you're the bishop and you got an elders quorum president. Why do you need us? Go to another house. Somebody else tells us, hey, did you hear about Brother Vargas? He's got his kidneys are failing and he's asking for a blessing. You guys want to go down and see him? We're like, well, we got a lot of stuff going on today. I'm, you know, we, we, had, we were working hard and we had tons of stuff planned and we were going to do this and this and this. And um, we go a little bit further and we run into our ward mission leader who had just gotten off work. He'd worked the night shift and he was walking home and he says, hey, did you guys hear about Brother Vargas? He needs a blessing. He's asking for a blessing. And we're just like, fine. You know, the <laughs> sounds like brother Vargas needs a blessing. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, <laughs> finally, I mean, how many we're times getting the clue? Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> we're, we're okay. Lord, fine. Is that what you're telling us? That we're going to waste our whole day and go give this guy a blessing. <laughs> fine. And so the hospital he was at was back on the other side of our house. So we had to walk another three or four miles just to get to that hospital. We go to the hospital. He's not even there. 
his kidneys had gotten so bad they transferred him to another hospital. So then we had to walk all the way to that other hospital and, you know, we're trying to take, we're in areas where we don't really know where the buses go. And so it, was, it took us a long time. We get into the hospital and there is his family there, his wife and his daughters and sons and grandkids. And they're all sitting in the lobby, like crying. And, you know, we come in, we're said, Hey, and they're like, Oh, finally the elders are here. He's been asking for you. He's wanting a blessing. We're like, yeah, we heard. <laughs> and so, so they tell us that his kidneys are failing, that they had him on dialysis and that the doctors don't think he's going to live past the morning. And so, um, we're like, you know, we're kind of probably talking to each other in English. Like, what are we supposed to do? And he, I don't know. What do you want to do? And, and, uh, so, Finally, they wheel him out from the dialysis and they wheel him in front of his family. And I mean, this guy looked like. I thought he's dead. Yeah. I mean, purple oh. skin, you know, just oh, wow. he's done. And people start crying, his wife, his kids, they're all crying, everything. And they wheel him into the room and the doctor says, you can have one visitor. And so we're going, okay, his wife should go in and visit him. If he's going to be dying anyway, maybe we should visit him. And she goes, no, 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 no. He wants the elders. And we're like, whoa. Can't send one. You can't send one. And so the doctor's like, fine, the two of you can go in. We go into this room and I had never been into an, like an ICU, but this was like an Argentine ICU. So it was this whole room of just people and on these, mm -hmm. you know, boop, boop. You know, and people are just coughing and, and I, I'm just, you know, you feel like you're in the room of death, I guess. A lot of moaning. I remember a lot of moaning. Yeah. It and was so, scary. Yeah. It was for young men to walk into that. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. Oh, wow. And so I turned to Drax, of course, we're in English and I go, I go, well, what do you want to do? And immediately I'll do the oil. <laughs> you know, so, so he does the oil and I'm, I'm like, in my mind, I'm saying, okay, how in Spanish would you say you know, have a good journey. Your life on earth is done. We're, we're allowing you to, to leave this planet and, you know, Release go meet spirit, your, go yeah. meet your maker or whatever. And I'm kind of in my mind thinking, how do I say that in Spanish? And then, uh, we put our hands on his head to give him a blessing. And I can only describe it as that I felt light come through my head, down through my arms and into his head. And we gave him a blessing and I blessed him that he would get better. And I told him this was his last chance to come back to church and that the Lord was giving him another chance. And, uh, I, the feeling I had was that the power was from the faith of his family mm. and that, that there was some faith in that room. And so, um, you know, we, I, I just remember we walked home and it was really kind of solemn and, and, uh, Sure enough, uh, a couple of weeks later, he was cutting our hair. He was back in home and he had been, been, uh, healed. But the, the, the miracle in all of that was not just that he and his wife came back to church, but that one of his daughters, um, who was in that room at that time, she had, had not been going to church for a long time. And we started teaching her husband and, um, through that process, the daughter came back to church and I don't know if Drex, if you want to tell more about yeah, just uh, <clears throat> Rosanna Vargas was was her name, um, maiden name. Olguin was her married name, and um, just the just the neatest woman. I mean, just really looking back on it, um, she must have been in her early to mid twenties. Probably right? we thought early to we mid twenties. So old at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's like three years older. Yeah, yeah just, right, and right. she had a, three Argentine years older. So she's like, yeah. she had a daughter who was less than probably about a year or less than a year old, Diana. And um, we spent a lot of time with that family in that in that house. And 
good spirit in the home. I mean, just felt, felt that spirit and, um, taught, taught her husband, um, who did not end up joining the church, but she, um, Anna got very active in church and she raised her daughter who, uh, we taught in the church and, um, had several other daughters. And one of the neat experiences that you have when you're as old as we are is you get to see generations now, what happens in families. And one of the really neat things that, that happened to us and happened to me was, um, Diana went on a mission, this little girl, and there's a picture of me that I have of me holding her. And I was looking through Diana's Facebook page while she was on her mission and she's holding this little child uh-huh. in almost the same way I am. Wow. And it, I've, I felt so moved by that. Um, for me, it was a, just a real metaphor of missionary work in general that you, you know, somebody has brought the gospel to, to me, in my case, my, my parents and my leaders, and I was able to go help bring the gospel to somebody. And then there in turn, and it's like, it's like a parent to child or it's a family thing. Mm-hmm. And to think, um, the magnitude of your decision to, to wake up, to go give a blessing, to heed the call, you start looking at the follow on effects and consequences of that. And the way that, um, your decision to show up and work hard opens doors for other people's lives to be blessed. It's, it's super humbling. You know, at that, at that time, at that moment, you don't know what's going on, but I remember that blessing. Like I, like it's this moment today. And we had talked about, you know, this, this guy's dead, Dave, you know, you got to like release him from life. So when Dave makes that promise to him in that blessing, like I open my eyes and I'm looking at him, I'm like, are, are you sure? Did we? And, and then I felt it. Like I felt yeah. what he felt. And, you know, you talk about these things, these are sacred things they're special things. Um, they're, they're, they're like not for everyday consumption. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's real, you know, and it happened. And I remember feeling, uh, something really special happened in that moment. Um, and for whatever reason, this guy's going to pull through and he did. And, and seeing what happened because of that experience has been, been really neat. Yeah. When you see the downstream effects of all that, then you realize that what we did was so, you know, Drex and Dave, our effort was so minuscule compared to what the Lord was doing and preparing for all along. We just happened to be at the right time in the right place with the right authority. And he was able to use us. That's awesome. That is cool. Tell us about the, is it Garana family? The Guarino. Guarino. Guarino family. Well, well, let's talk about how we found the Guarino family, yeah. which is, which is Dave's story. So I, I got to tell I another there. story. You did. Right. <laughs> so, um, our zone, like, like Drex said, I was the zone leader and our zone was right next to where the temple was and the, uh, the MTC there, they had an MTC in Argentina. So once a month, the new class of MTC kids would come out and do splits with the missionaries in our zone, you know, and they're all full of fire and spitting. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're good. <laughs> and, and of course, and then they, they pair them with a senior seasoned missionaries and we take them out to our areas and we show them what missionary works really like. And then they come back and we have a little testimony meeting and, you know, it's a great experience for these missionaries awesome. who are going out in the field. So we split up and I'm the zone leader. So I'm the only one with a key and to the church. And our goal was we all had to be back. Let's say it was 5 PM. We're all going to be back at 5 PM. And so of course I had to be there by 5 PM. Otherwise everyone's outside. Everybody's in the building. way. Yeah. There's not like anybody had a cell phone. Like, are you on your way? <laughs> like if I'm not there, I'm not there. And they just have to wait until I get there. And so 
Drax went off with his uh, MTC elder, and I went off with an MTC elder, and, and we—I don't know that we had a whole lot to do, and so we were just knocking doors, and we're we're knocking doors, and I'm looking at the clock, and you know we we did this whole street, and then we're going to the next street, and I said, well, why don't we just not go to the next street because I got to get back to the chapel, and this young missionary from the MTC is like, no, I think we should another street and I was like come on you know you don't know what you're talking you know, about you know you MTC guys, whatever. <laughs> I said tell you what let's do like a house well I'll let you do one more house and we'll see how that one goes and we do a couple houses and nobody answers and I go all right we got to go he's like no come on let's just finish the street and I was like oh my gosh you guys and your MTC fire <laughs> so so we keep going the last house on the street just as we're getting there and I'm like literally we got to go we're gonna, I'm gonna, you know the sisters are gonna kill me because we're late. And this guy comes walking out of his house. And I say, you know, we, we start talking to him. We say, Hey, we're missionaries. We'd love to talk to you. And he says, well, I'm heading on my way to work. Can you come back another time? We said, yeah, we'll come back another time. Great. And, uh, you know, we get back to, you know, so we, we take his information, we go and, um, get back to the, of course I'm late where the late. sisters are yelling at me and, and everybody was mad that we got there late. But, um, the Guarino family, we, we went back and um, they were an amazing, amazing family that had Drex and I been together knocking that street and I said, let's go. He would have just probably said, all right, yeah, you're right. Let's go. You're my leader. But, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. But um, the fact that that missionary was there, I think, was was the Lord's way of putting the right people in the right place at the right time so that we would continue doing that street. And when we found the Guarinos... Um, uh, we were able to teach them. They had a son who at the time, I think it was 20, Fernando? I think it was already, he was 19 or 20. It was already 19. And this guy was on fire. Like we were teaching him and his mom and dad and his mom and dad had all these questions. You know, they'd grown up Catholic and they had all these questions. And Fernando got so like, stop asking all these dumb questions. <laughs> we had to teach him separately because he just wanted to get baptized so fast. And he's been an amazing, amazing uh, member of the church and done amazing, amazing things. And, you know, Drex talks about his, um, his experience of, of, of seeing reflecting back, reflecting back and, and or looking forward from that point. And I, I know we can talk about this later, but Drex and I had the chance to go down to Argentina a few years ago, I guess, 10 years ago. And I together again, right together again, we just went down to visit and we were there. And I, I remember church got over and we're walking out and I see Fernando with his little girl and he's asking her, what did you learn in church? And she says, well, I learned this song. And she starts singing a primary song. You know, I'm trying to be like Jesus. And I was like, like, that's what it's about. I shared with Fernando and Fernando sharing with this kid. And this kid only knows that she's growing up trying to be like Jesus. Like I, it was just a really neat experience for me. Yeah. There's, there's more to that story too, which is, um, which is cool. And it is that, that missionary Dave was with, whose name I don't know. Um, for Fernando went to work for the church in, in Argentina. And one day, um, he sees this other individual in the hall at work and recognizes his name and they start talking. And it was that missionary wow. who, who knocked the Guarino's door. It was an Argentine guy who Argentine now lives guy. there and works for the church Jeez. down in Argentina. And they connected. And that was like, I mean, that was a big moment for them um, to, to realize what, you know, what, what hinged on just that decision, this, and what a difference it made in Fernando's life. And Fernando was able to thank him 
for, you know, what, what he did for, for his family and, and knock it on their door. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, what, how about the Eva family? The Eva family. I should probably tell this yeah, you tell only them. to spare you <laughs> uh, another story. So we told you, we, we would talk to every family we saw it. I remember one day we saw this wonderful family out on a walk, little girl in a stroller, I think husband and wife, we crossed the street to talk to them. Which real quick, it was a Sunday afternoon. I remember this. In fact, we, we confirmed it. I went back and found our old That's a good memory. Um, things. Well, I, I, I wanted to make sure. So I made sure I found our old uh, planners and I found it was a Sunday afternoon. So Sunday afternoons were the worst part of a mission, I thought, because we'd have this huge lunch after church and all I wanted to do was take a nap. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to take naps. And 90% of Argentina was taking a nap. Siesta. And we're just walking down the street and it's hot. Waking people up from yeah, their and naps. Like, and you, like, <laughs> you know you're a pest, but that's yeah, your exactly. job. And I'm like, I just wish, I, you know what? I feel for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, But learn about Jesus more important. So. Yeah. So anyway, so, so we're yeah. walking down the street. So yeah, so this is, this is not typically a good time for us, but we see this family and they give us their address. Like they were very receptive. They gave us their address. And so later in the week we went back to visit them. And like a lot of people, they'd actually just given us a bad address, right? (laughs) Maybe they made a mistake or maybe they threw us off the scent, but we knock on the door of this home and a gentleman comes out and this is not the person we talked to. And we thought, Oh, here we go again. But you know, we're, we're going to talk to everybody. So we start talking. Which real quick, the, he, he says he's a gentleman. So so this guy comes out and he's he'd been working on cars and stuff. So he's covered in grease, smoking like huge drags of a cigarette, you know, and just like this. <laughs> he's a rough looking he, character. Yeah, what do you guys he's, want? He's, he's a know? male. He's yeah. a, ru- yeah, he's yeah, a bald, rough looking character. Bald, dirt, you know, kind of dirty. And he's not happy to see us. No. <laughs> he's yeah. not happy to see us. He's kind of been put out a little bit. We've taken him away from fixing something in his garage. Um, and just as we try and start talking to him. We're, we're kind of going through, actually what we were doing originally was trying to find this family. That's who we were excited about. So we were asking him, we're describing this family. And then, um, this drunk man walks up and starts trying to pick a fight with me. Like, I'm <laughs> like straight up, like Dave, we're trying to talk to this gentleman. So I kind of peel away and I'm trying to pull this guy off of me. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's fall over drunk. And he says to me, do you know why you Mormons always wear black? Because you have black hearts. He actually, I'm like, I was like. we're wearing like black yeah, trench coats because it was cold. It was a cold day and we had our coats on. And just when I think I'm finally getting this guy to leave, one of these wagons that sells eggs pulls up behind us and starts blaring through a loudspeaker. It parks five feet from us behind us and starts blaring. I think to just annoy us or they thought maybe we had some money, we'd buy some eggs, but we couldn't get anywhere with this guy and in his door. So we couldn't hear anything. We couldn't. And suddenly he just opens the gate and he says, just come in. Or did you ask if I think I asked you if we could come in and he let us in and I'm just happy to get away from the drunk trying to punch me and eggs. (laughs) And we sit down and I'm not thinking this is a influential consequential moment, but he said, I've lived here all of my married life. I've never let a stranger walk through that door and I've let you through. Why are you here? He said, every time I went to tell you guys to leave, something happened. And so talk to me. Wow. And, and, uh, all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is a thing. We found out later that his, his wife had gone into the next room behind the door and was listening in cause she could not believe he had let somebody into their home. We wow. didn't know much less religious people. Well, and, and so I just remember we're sitting there and we told him 
basics about the church and and gave him a book of mormon but i just i think he smoked seven cigarettes in the 10 minutes we were with him <laughs> yeah. like he was just yeah, he was i just, just remember I, I have this in my mind it was kind of dark and dingy and smoky and he's just <laughs> you know pounding those cigs and uh it was it was not this idyllic, you know, here we had met this family walking down the street where it was a husband and wife and their little baby with a stroller. And we had this idea, okay, here's our family we've been praying and fasting for. And we thought, there they are. And then we, we go and we teach this guy and it's this smoking, you know, dude that cusses like crazy yeah. and, you know, and, and, uh, um, but, but we ended up starting to teach the Ava family. And so this was the, the dad, this was the dad. So we started teaching him and his wife and their kids. And, uh, this is a spiritually powerful man and people. And we start to realize that really quickly, like appearances are very deceiving. Um, you think, you know, what the model family might look like and you, you maybe were blind to it. You're in your pursuit of it. You know, God kind of gets you there. And, um, we really became, I, I, I know we both feel this way. Like we were really students in that whole experience. Um, there were too, too many stories to tell in, in this setting, but ward, ward members who got involved in, in this family's conversion and, and some re, like remarkable conversion experiences that happened that you're just witnessing and you're witness to. And, um, this family joined, joined the church and they, um, they formed the Monte Grande branch after we had left and Julian was Julian Eva was the first branch president called to lead that branch. He and his wife then uh, have served a mission together as missionary couples. Wow. They work in the temple. They work in the temple, they're temple workers they've done. And you, you would, uh, you know, if you were seeing with your, your, your physical eyes, you would not have guessed that from, from that experience. And it was, uh, and just the, the things just keep going on that chain of, 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 of miracles in their lives and others just keeps, keeps going. That's awesome. Lord definitely looketh on the heart. Yeah. Is, is there any other families or individuals you want to talk about? I guess the next question I'll ask is, cause you guys said you had gone back, kind of tell us more about that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so <laughs> there was a uh, family, Drex alluded to a family that was in the ward, the Alcina family. Um, this is a part member. No, or? they were they were actually members of the church, husband, wife, and and their kids. And uh, the the wife was a a ward missionary, and I think she taught seminary. And the husband was in the bishop, like maybe the executive secretary of the bishop. Anyway, so we would go over and have lunch with them all the time. You know, maybe once a week. That was in Argentina. We didn't eat dinners with families. We ate lunches, and so um, <laughs> we're over there for lunch. And one of their kids is in high school. And he, he went by the name Aranya, which spider. means spider. <laughs> he was a skater. Oh, really? Like, nice. yeah. And so he, he literally, yeah, everything. he would come in and he'd be like, Elders, what's up? <laughs> you know, like, and uh, so I remember he, he asked one time, you know, back to Drex's story about music. He comes in this one day and he brings out lyrics from a CD. You remember CDs used to have lyrics, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. all the lyrics written on them. And it was a, a band called Danzig, which is you know, blatantly like satanic or whatever. And so it's the, the, the CD on, or the cover opens up into an upside down cross. Oh, wow. 
and it has all these lyrics. And so he, he comes over and he hands it to us. He goes, Hey, you guys speak English, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, will you translate this for me? You're like setting us up. Right? <laughs> like, will the, will the missionaries actually say what this, these lyrics of this satanic band say? So Drex just dead face goes, all right, here's what it says. Blah, 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 blah. And he's just translating it. And I'm just like, whoa. And, and, uh, Aranya goes, powerful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, we, you know, he, we struck up a friendship with him and he'd come over all the time. We'd see him on the street with his skater friends and they'd come over and say hi. And he was a cool kid. You know, we, we really liked him and uh, we just were friends with him. And so, uh, later on at one point, I don't know the exact story. You probably know better than I do, but he was, um, he was skating in some old broken down warehouse and something happened where the floor broke out and he fell a couple stories and broke his back. And he, yeah, he had a, he had a big fall. I don't actually think he was climbing at that time. It was, it was out at a party with his skater friends. But he was climbing like somewhere. Like a condemned building. Or yeah. Something. Something and he like had that. a fall. Can't remember if he fell through the outside or the floor. I just know, we know he, he fell like three stories, um, broke his back. Um, didn't paralyze him, but, but he on said the way that, down, yeah. he had a conversation with God on the way. He was <laughs> between down. floor three and yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. the floor. That's right. And um, third, third degree. But if, according to him and through his story, a real turning point for him came with the friendship we had with him. Uh, he said he didn't feel judged by by people. And and we, we thought he was a really neat kid. Like we did. We thought he was a really neat guy. I mean, he was our age. I... I mean, Dave's being nice, but I said, "Oh yeah, I know Danzig. I used to listen to Danzig." And uh, <laughs> oh. I, I don't think I, I don't think I owned it, but if I did, I would have burned that CD. But um, and I think he, he talked to me later. We had some conversations. He said, "Well, you know, I thought I, I thought Mormons were really out of tune with everything and didn't pay attention and just sort of sat in their rooms and listened to music that he wasn't interested in or whatever. Yeah. And so I talked to him about that and I said, look, I used to do all that stuff and listen to that stuff, but now I'm here and it's made all the difference. And you know, you ought to come back. And he, he didn't when we were there, but he said that got him thinking about that process. And then when his time came, uh, he, he was ready. So he ended up going to the Chile Concepcion mission where it just so happened my brother was serving. Wow. And don't tell me they were companions and they were not companions, but they got to know one another and they got to become friends. And I got to hear about, uh, his mission experience from him and through my brother as well. And what a difference is made. So when we went back and visited, uh, Rania was serving on the high council. In the, did you call did him? He still go by that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He still goes by it. <laughs> he still, we say, he's, he's, he's Christian, but we. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, I mean, he got like a skate park built there in oh, in Monte Grande. Cool. Yeah, he still cool skates. Dude. Yeah, but yeah, but here's the rest of the story: is he's in the hospital and he gets assigned a with um, a broken back with a broken back from falling, and he gets assigned a home teacher to go visit him and, and bring him to church. And it was somebody who was the same age. It was Fernando, the guy we had just baptized that was 19. That's right. And so he, you know, here they struck up a friendship and, you know, have been friends ever since and have been really strong for each other. You know, so it's just really kind of a cool, yeah. when we found out, we went back down that those two had really become close because he had, Fernando had been, that was Fernando's first calling as a member of the church was to be Aranya's home teacher. Yeah. That's crazy. So reflecting back, you guys knew each other since kindergarten, second grade, something like that, years and years and years. What was one thing you learned about your friendship after your companionship that surprised you? 
I, I could speak to this, Dave, like how much more we had in common than even we thought, I think, because 16, 17 year old boys, 18 year old boys, they don't, um, they don't often express their feelings about uh, a God, you know, they, they have them. Maybe you get in a setting where you have a chance to express it, but we, we were playing sports and chasing girls and it was all, you know, sports and girls and, and what else is there? You right? got, you got the order wrong. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The, the whole reason for sports was to get girls and, and, um, and you real, you realize the depth, sort of the depth of, of the person you're with. And, you know, D Dave's, I don't know, just, we just felt like family. It's true. We just, the rest of our mission, I mean, you still had another, what, se eight months, seven, eight, was it that long? After six we split months? up, I think it was about six months. Yeah. yeah it's six months. And, um, you know, just this, I don't know, this comfort develops, this closeness develops as far as learning. I mean, I, I learned what a, just a powerful, power, powerfully spiritual individual Dave was that I hadn't, hadn't known. And it was a great example. You're a great example to me. I mean, I kind of wonder what kind of missionary I would have been had I not had that example. Mm. Um, I was a very different missionary after that. How about you, Dave? Yeah. And I would say um, one of the things that always stood out to me with Drex was he was, I learned from him. Number one was how to study. He was, if you haven't noticed already, he's 10 times smarter than I am. Like his <laughs> Spanish six months in, he was already better than I was at 18 months. And, um, but he still studied it all the time and he still, he never, I, I, I was, to me, that was one of those things where I was like, man, if he's still studying, then I better study even more. But I think since the mission, um, the thing that I've appreciated most about our friendship is because we both have maybe that shared, um, openness and, and, and that we can have that, that he and I, you know, I mean, we all go through challenges in life. I mean, we've, we've been home from the mission now, what, 25 years or something. And, you know, we both have been through faith crisis. We've both been through struggles in family and, and marriages and work and all these things. And it's just, it's always nice to have somebody that I know doesn't judge me and mm. I can be open with him and I can be honest. And I know that he is, he thinks things through in such a way that he, he, he'll, you know, he always has good advice, but, but I just always appreciate that, that we've always had that openness to be able to, to, uh, you know, maybe, like you said, just maybe with deep. other guys, you just, just don't go have deep. it. Yeah. We, go, we go really deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's brothers and mentors to each other. Yeah. Like. Really. Drex, I always ask this and usually it's earlier in a podcast, but what, what for you, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling to learn a language? It sounds like Dave is obviously impressed with your ability to learn and to, I, I think that was Dave's nice way of calling me a nerd. <laughs> um, well, I, it's nice to hear Dave say that because the truth is I really did struggle to learn the language. And I think that's why I studied so hard. And, and I think it turned, it, it turned a weakness into a strength. Mm. Like in, like in either I got, I, I, I was in tears a lot of nights for the first, you know, five months I was, I was in the mission. Um, so I, I guess that was just, that was just frustration of not being able just to frustration in a foreign country, not you know? understanding. Um, I always felt I could communicate better. I could speak better than I could understand because I could always oh, really? look up, read or memorize words, but I couldn't hold conversations because it just sounded like gibberish coming back to me. Um, but in terms of learning a language, it's, um, it's about immersion. 
and it takes time. But what I did, and this is what Dave would allude to any single time I heard a word I didn't understand, I would stop the person and I would have him explain what it was and I would write it down. So my little calendars were just covered with words and then I'd make lists at home. And I think he thought it was a little crazy. I mean, I just said, listen, but I could tell people how to change hubcaps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I wanted to learn every single word so I could have every single conversation. And part of it was, I thought it would make me a better missionary uh-huh. if I could connect with people about whatever they were interested in. Totally. So I just think you got to stop people and say, what was that? Write it down and just drill it. And if I could add, and, and he was a much better, still is a much better Spanish speaker than I is, but but the the one thing that made a huge difference to me, believe it or not, was learning the cuss words, because they don't teach you that in the MTC. <laughs> so you know when they're so, using, so, you know, like the... I had, a, I had a priest in one of the wards that, you know, I you said something to him, like, hey, what does this mean? And he's like, oh my gosh, Elder, you can't say that. And I'm like, I don't know what it means. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, all right, let me, and he handed me a little, I had a little booklet and he just wrote down all the cuss words he could think of and what they meant, you know? And then I'd be like, oh, I guess, <laughs> you know, I thought they so were happy. A- they, oh, they, oh. They smile when they said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, so, ah, they have different finger gestures here. You know, like, like all those things I didn't understand, but actually, if you think about your average, American, what kind of language they use. <laughs> it's got a lot of colorful, it, yeah, colorful right? words. You know, yeah. So if you don't, in the MTC, they don't teach you that stuff. You don't learn it. You never. Dave, that's a great point. And it is advantage to a foreign speaking missionary that that stuff just rolls off you. You know, somebody's, you know, cussing a blue streak and you just, it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what they said. Or it just doesn't have that like, cool. cultural. I, I guess he's not interested. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my lad speaking companions would, you know, they blush or get, yeah. and you're just all offended. You're just rolling with it. Yeah. But yeah. very important. And the lunfardo is what they called slang in Argentina. The lunfardo. I found that if you could learn that and even speak it, um, oh, yeah. it just integrated you really well with people. Cause they're like, you're one of us. They, yeah, you are. And you've taken the time to do that. Yeah. That. No cap. <laughs> what is that? That's the new thing that the kids say. No cap. Oh, they're like, <laughs> well, that went over my head. Yeah, so see, I, so I, need to, I need to go you sit down with my priests and right. have them write. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday just goes, now this is the truth. No cap. And they'll be like, yeah, <laughs> no, what, what of our, our bishop went, that's Gucci. <laughs> like, Hey, don't worry. We're Gucci. And all the, all the priests are like, Oh my God. that's funny uh anyways it sounds like and maybe you guys can talk i don't know if you can teach someone this but it sounds like one thing that you guys learned was talk to everyone and maybe i don't know as a missionary there was times when i was really good at that times i wasn't what what advice would you give to to just do it that's to me that's like my advice is just do it but yeah anything unique it's never comfortable i mean i don't you know, you say that Dave was more comfortable, but I don't think it was ever comfort. Just, it, you just have to do it. I, yeah. I want to, I want to tell a little story and it's something you told me. It, so this is your story, but it impacted right, me I, because one day, um, Dave had a interview with our, uh, mission president and he said, you know, president, what if one day I just, I just don't want to do the work and I, I don't go, you know, open my mouth and give people an opportunity to hear about the gospel. I mean, what, what happens? Somebody else will come along and like, just, teach those people there to find it some other way. And he said to you, he said, Hey, Elder Haynes, this is not a game. This is serious business. Like you are the opportunity that people will have to hear this message and make a decision about it. And if you make the decision to not wake up today and deliver that message, that's, that's one less opportunity that a person will have. 
And he to, Dave told me that story early on in our, in our companionship. And it just would eat at me if we were standing waiting for a bus and there was somebody there and I wasn't talking to them. I thought, you know, there are, I'd seen it over and over and over again where people would thank you profusely so many times. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for knocking on my door. And I thought, you know, am I costing somebody that opportunity in their life to feel that level of gratitude for this message? Because I just didn't feel like it today. So I just make myself do it. And I didn't feel it a lot of the time. Right. I didn't, but it's like, I don't know who's going to say yes. So I I've got to talk to everybody and we would get on the bus and split up. You'd sit by somebody, I would sit by somebody. And then if you know, and we would talk and I just knew it got to the point where it was more uncomfortable not to share than to share. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think of the quote by Boyd K. Packer where true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. And so if you understand this opportunity, this, the gospel has blessed our lives so much. Like you got to give everyone that opportunity. I think it was uh, John Taylor, President John Taylor, that said, if you don't preach to someone that you should have, there'll be kind of a, a moment where you'll kind of be reconciled with that moment with God and be like, hey, kind of messed up and you missed out on those blessings. They'll still like, like you said, someone else will get that opportunity, but you missed that opportunity to bless someone else's life. I, I still think about it today. I mean, I, I think yeah. about it at work and I think, you know, this guy, I may be his only opportunity to, to meet, you know, somebody from the church maybe, you know, and so I, I still think about that today. And I, you know, there was, um, when we went back to Argentina, the brother Ava, we sat down with him and we, we had dinner and we had a great time. We were talking and he just stops and he goes, he goes, elders, thank you for bringing me the gospel. Thank you. You know, you look at my great family, you look at all the blessings I have and none of that would be possible if you didn't bring us the gospel. And I just said, I, at the time I'm going, do you not realize that we were two knuckleheads, you know, 19 year olds, why did they send us down? Like we were so <laughs> incompetent. Like there's no way we would have ever found you. It was the Lord that put that family walking down the street, you know, and it was the Lord that did all these things. We didn't even tell the story about when he, when he finally got his testimony of the book of Mormon, but it was totally had nothing to do with us. I was in the bathroom when he got the, the spiritual confirmation that the church was true. And so, you know, I just said to him, I said, brother Ava, I can't take any credit for that. I, I don't deserve any, I, it was, it was hundred percent the Lord. We just happened to be a part of it and we were kind of observing witnesses. And he goes, you know what though? You came. He says, if you, if you never got on a mission, if you never left your families, then you wouldn't have been able to teach me. And so thank you for leaving your families and for coming on a mission and for trying to do with the Lord, you know, and, and allowing the Lord to do that. And I said, okay, I can take credit for that. And, and to me, you know, we don't know all the different people that we're going to talk to. We don't know, we don't know all the the miracle, miraculous web of miracles that the Lord is weaving and the people that He's preparing and the way He's preparing them. And so, if you you have no idea what this specific moment in time, you know, the the impact that it can have. And so, all you can do is just try to do your best at it. And if you can do your best then someday you'll get to see it and you'll be like, holy cow, the Lord is amazing. Like he, he you know, all he needed me to do is push that one button right at yeah, that one yeah. moment. And he, and all that stuff happened. And, and I am so grateful that he asked me to push that one button for that one moment, because I got to see all of that come to, tr come to pass. You know, I, 
one of the things we talk about is that we really just feel is they've said that we, we had, we had the privilege to witness something and that we were a very small part of, but we got to play a role in it. And it was, um, it became, it becomes a touchstone of your faith. It's something you go back to, you feel joy when you reflect on it, but you also can't deny it. Like I, I know what happened. Dave knows what happened. Like mm-hmm. we, we saw things and there are things that we're not talking about today because it's a podcast and there, there are other people, they are other people's stories who we haven't gotten their permission to tell. And they're super sacred to them. Um, but you see it and you witness it. And, you know, Dave talks about, you know, faith crises. We've been through them. People go through them. Um, those, those, this has always been an anchor point in our experience because there are certain things that you just, you don't deny, you know, you think about, you know, Martin Harris or other witnesses of the book of Mormon, you know, fallen away. One thing they said is, no, I know what experience I have. I experienced something. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Joseph Smith says, uh, I knew what I saw and I knew God knew what I saw. And I feel like we, we had the blessing at one time in our lives to just be witness to something like that and to be part of it. I think our relationship had something to do with being in a position to, to do that. But, um, we, we had neat experiences on our mission with other companions and um, without the experiences we had together, our missions would have been successful and um, wouldn't want any missionary listening to this to take away that this is a, this is like a normal thing mm-hmm. that happens to every missionary every, every time. Um, but we, to also think that the potential is there. Yeah, you is. believe in miracles, yeah. believe that they happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, we were talking, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Stacy King, who was a basketball player, um, played for the Chicago Bulls back in the day with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. You know, everybody knows who Michael Jordan is, right? One of those other guys you name? I don't know Stacy uh, King. Okay. No, of course you don't. <laughs> but I'm a big NBA fan. So, so Stacy King be a was a, in the story. Yes. Yeah. So Stacy King was a bench warmer on that team, right? So there's this game, some amazing game, Michael Jordan just... Uh, just unleash it. Just goes Jordan, right? Being and the goat. yeah, he being the goat, and he scores sixty nine points, gets a double double, a million rebounds, whatever. And everybody's just just in awe of Michael Jordan's amazing abilities as a basketball player. And they get to the end of the game, and they're winning. And so Stacy King gets in the game. He gets fouled. He makes one shot. And uh, then the end of the game. And so they come up to, to everybody's trying to interview Jordan and he's surrounded. And somebody goes over to Stacey King and they go, what do you think about this game? I mean, it was kind of amazing. And Stacey King goes, I will forever remember tonight is the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to me, that's what I look as my mission is that the Lord did all the work and I was just asked to do a little free throw at the end, <laughs> but I got to do it. And I, and I did my little contribution. I just feel so blessed that I got to see a lot of the impact of what, of the work you do. I mean, a lot of the things you do as a missionary, you may never see the impact. Um, I'm sure that there are book of Mormons or books of Mormon, however you say it, that we left in people's houses that other people have joined the church because of that. I'm sure there's other things of people that we've taught that, uh, you know, other things that have happened that we don't, we'll never know, or we won't know until the other side of what the impact was. But I just feel so lucky that we got to see the impact and we got to see essentially the hand of the Lord work through us. And, you know, I, I think about Argentina every day and I, I smell things, I hear things, I feel things and I think about it. And I think about, you know, I heard a missionary one time came home from his mission. He was talking to church and he says, I, I, I already miss it. I want to go back. Mm-hmm. And I went up to him after church and I go, that never goes away. 
I still want to go back. Yeah. Not because I want to go back to Argentina, but I want to go back and be part of the Lord's work where I just, all I'm asked to do is this little thing and I shoot my free throw and then <laughs> 70 <laughs> points are scored, you know, like, yeah. and he's doing all this amazing work and I just get to be a part of it. Yeah. It sounds like listening to both of you. And what keeps coming to my mind is missionary work is the opportunity to witness miracles. You show up, you walk up to the free throw line, you put on your uniform and you just witness miracles. Yeah. That's awesome. One of the things we've talked about is that you, you come home from your mission and you have this beautiful diamond in your hand when you talk about these experiences, but the lived experience of a mission is more like a room full of coal, right? It is the grind of the day to day and the pressure of it. And that, uh, you know, after years, that coal leaves this, be this beautiful diamond. We come and we talk about our diamond, right? We talk about these experiences yeah, yeah. and missionaries go out in the field and they're like, this feels like a coal field. Like, I'm not seeing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, And it is, it's a, it's a coal field, right? And, um, but you stick with it and you ride with it and you, you've, you've got a jewel and that jewel is with you if you, and it will stay with you if you want it to. That's a good way to look at it. So for the missionaries entering the coal field, that's such a beautiful analogy because <laughs> that's heck? true. But what, what, what advice do you give to missionaries or maybe your kids when they're going on missions? Is there like the same advice that you always give or is there kind of like well, a, both of you have had kids principle? go on missions, correct? No, I no. have not. No, no. Dave, yeah, Dave has. Well, um, I mean, I think the number one thing is that your mission is your experience and it's your opportunity to uh, to be an instrument in the Lord's hands and whatever that means and however he wants to use you. If he sends you to an area where they don't baptize and you teach one person your whole mission and you teach one lesson, that's what he needs you to do. If you go somewhere and you're teaching every day, that's what he needs you to do. And that's, you know, there was a talk somewhere where somebody said that you, you know, you are called to serve and then later it says where you're asked to labor in a specific market, but you're just called to serve. And so that's what hereby the, called, to hereby serve. called to serve. Sorry. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> going to drop that in there. But I, you know, you're, you're called just to serve in whatever capacity he wants. And, um, you know, my, my answers changed. I've been around youth pretty much since I came home from my mission. And I think my answer changes over time, but, um, to me, I think the most important thing as you're preparing for your mission is to consider your who Jesus Christ is. Because as a missionary, you are his representative doing his work. And so um, I, th I, you know, before my mission, um, I, I, I grew up in an area where you were part of the mission factory. You know, everybody went, you got, you got, you know, you step in line and, and go on your mission. And... I, I, I knew that I wasn't worthy to go on a mission and I had to work through some things with my bishop. And I remember walking out of his house after I had completed what I needed to, to repent. And I felt this peace. And I felt this, you know, the, the sins had been lifted off me. And I said, I want to, I, I love that feeling. I'm grateful for that. I want to pay back the savior for that. I want to pay back Jesus for what he did for me. And then I got into the mission field and, and there was a, a talk that President Crockett gave one time and I was in a really, really bad spot on my mission. I was struggling. I was really having a hard time. I was ready to go home. I served in an area that was called Dolores, which in Spanish means pain. Like that was the town. It was pain. It was painful. Very accurate. It was a painful, painful time in my mission. I was really struggling. I go to the zone conference 
and he talked about King Benjamin and he, you know, used King Benjamin's sermon as his background in his talk. And, and essentially what I was taught through the spirit was you can't pay him back. You came on a mission to pay back the savior, but every time you do something good, he just rewards you with something else and you'll all, your debt just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I started feeling like, well, okay, then why am I here? What am I doing if I can't pay back the savior? And you know, through that realization was that I serve because Jesus loved me and I love him back and I want to tell everybody about him. And if, if whatever that means, if I can open my mouth and tell somebody about Jesus Christ every day, that's awesome because I, he loved me and I love him back. I'll never pay him back, but I love telling people about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just agree with everything Dave said. And I, um, I don't know if I can add much to that. I, I can say this, that, um, I would say everybody who is preparing to serve a mission needs to get on their knees and say, what, what thing do I lack? For me, it was the influence of music that was preventing the spirit from fully preparing me. Um, being prepared for mission is a very personal thing. It's very, you're going to be tutored by the spirit and by the Lord. So I think you just need to be willing to do whatever that answer was. When I got that answer, I didn't want that answer. I, d- I didn't want to get rid of that. And so, you know, serving mission is, is oftentimes subjugating your will to the will of someone who's no, who knows better what is good for you. So learning to do that sooner rather than later is just going to help you as a missionary. And the other thing that I would say is that missions are about they're, they're very real. It's about real life. I remember in my very first area, we were teaching a family and we went to teach and the woman in this family was very distraught because a, a family member of hers who was a child was killed in a tragic accident and she wanted comfort and she wanted answers. And I thought, I am 19 years old. I barely speak this language. What do I even have? And I had to really rely on on something outside me to help guide me in that process to say, how do I help this person? And over and over and over again, you as a very young person are getting opportunities to help people with real life. And so what I would say is this may be somewhat unpopular, but get off social media because social media is not real life and get yourself into real. If you are participating in it, you better understand that's not real life and get yourself into real life. Um, cause it's going to get really real, really quick on your, on your mission. And the things, the things people are going to tell you are things they haven't told anybody in their life, the things they're struggling with, the things they've done. I mean, <laughs> I'm talking to a guy I'm going, uh, I'm talking to him about the word of wisdom. And I said, have you ever used any of these substances? And he said, all of them. And I said, yesterday, he said this morning. (laughs) And, and then, and this is very serious. He said, but the thing that weighs most heavily on me is I've killed people. I, as I've been a gangster and in a gang for a long time, I've killed people. What do you have to say to me that you're not going to learn about that on Instagram? Mm -hmm. And what I mean, you're not going to learn about that anywhere. You're going to, you're going to learn about how to navigate those experiences by getting out in the real world, learning how to listen to the spirit and respond to it. So I would say spend a lot less time in fantasy worlds, video games, and start talking to adults, talking to people, get involved in service. 
uh, you know, I, I was not the most prepared missionary going out. I could have done much better. Uh, I think it would be harder in this day and age where there are so many more distractions. Distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Dave, I want to tell you something and this is, I don't know that I've ever sat down and actually told you this and, you know, kind of to answer or echo Jordan's question when he said, what would you tell somebody? Um, there was a couple specific things that you had told me in preparation to go on my mission that really changed me and have, you know, we direct talking about faith crisis because I had listened to you or put effort into the words or the challenges that you had given me. I had experiences that helped me with faith crisis down the road. And I had already had my mission call. Um, and I think it was, I, I, I can't remember if it was the night I opened it or if it was the night I was leaving or the, you know, I had given my farewell. And as a lot of people have heard in the other episodes, my, my dad's not a member of the church. And Dave, you, you pulled me aside and you sat down with me and you said, you are going to find people that are just like your dad and you are going to be the only one who understands how you can help them or, you know, you can testify. You can, your testimony is what they're willing to hear. And that stuck with me for my entire mission. And about halfway through uh, a companion of mine, we, we met a part member family. His name was on Milton. And uh, kind of the same thing. We, we befriended him, much like Aranya. You know, we befriended him. We started playing dominoes with him. And just, you know, because his wife, and we would go over to his house for, for lunch, you know, because his wife would invite us over there. And, you know, we'd talk about, you know, family home evening, and he would participate. And we started getting a little bit more gospel heavy, you know, and he started reading the Book of Mormon and accepting our challenges. One, because we had gotten to know him first, right? Whereas if I came in and I said, you know, this is a part member family, I just need to, you know, really challenge him rather than I, I looked at him as my own dad. How, you know, I, w- I would want to get to know my dad or get to know him first to, uh, if he has whatever guards he has up um, so he can see me as a friend first, you know, and then then we could start talking about the gospel. But the time came when my companion and I needed to, the, the, you know, third or fourth or 10th lesson or whatever it was, we decided let's ask him to be, to be baptized. And it was interesting. The companion I was with was also an only member. Um, he had come to know the gospel in Spain. He was 25 years old, moved home and served a mission. And he goes, well, I want to ask him. And in my heart, I said, no, man, I, I had remembered what Dave had told me. And I said, this is, you know, I, I wanted it for myself, but I said, okay, you can have it, you know? And when Elder Francisco went to Milton and was testifying and said, Milton, are you ready to be baptized? He said, no, no, nah, no way. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa, what the heck, man? You know, like he I, here like, I am my whole entire mission, you know, yeah. oh, this is what Dave was talking about. This is it. And then he says, no, but then I can't describe it as words in my head, but I had a knowledge that a Milton would be baptized hundred percent. I knew that what he was saying was true. And I knew that he knew that I knew. So I sat down and I said, Milton, I know that you know that this is true. Will you be baptized? And then he said, yes. And so it was a moment like that. You know, we, we talk about all these 
what, what advice would you give somebody? And I don't know if you, if that meant anything to you as I was heading out, heading out the door, but I thought about that and I said, you know what, this is, this is, this is why I am here. And, you know, I had a mission companion that Elder Francisco went back and come to find out, I think he's this first counselor or, or president of the young men's in the stake and stuff like that. He's gone on to do great things in the church, but circling back when you come home from your mission, you're, you're thrust into this world, right? Where you're supposed to perform and you're supposed to um, provide, you know, and it's a very stressful world and the spiritual things might kind of, they shouldn't take a backseat, but sometimes they do because you, your focuses are different, right? You're not, you're not out there trying to baptize people. You're out there trying to, you know, put a roof over your family's head. But there was a point in time where I had a a massive, massive faith crisis. And it was when um, I had another family member tell me that he no longer believed the church was true, who was a very important um, person in getting me out on my mission. And it was because of the experience that I had with the Milton. And like Drex said, I could not deny that. That is why I am where I am today. And it's, it's the value of those little moments, right? Just like Dave said to Drex in the street, never discredit or what what was it discredit or undermine the power of the, the miracles, whatever. It's all of those little things that later will come back to help whoever you're teaching will come back to you because you've served in that capacity that will you know, it's a very full circle. Dave had talked about it in the very beginning that you're just there to hit the free throw, right? The Lord has been doing all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're just, you're right there at the right moment at the right time. And those are things that I'll never forget. And again, I have a big reason why I had decided to go on a mission was because of, I, I could see, I remember from like a young age asking you to, to tell me stories. I knew you loved your mission and it was something that I wanted to experience for myself. It was because of your example. And if I had, you told me about all the coal, right? (laughs) (laughs) I would have been like, I left that part out. (laughs) Well, you know, and it's again, being, being an apartment member family, I had no incentive to go. Right. I I could stay home, go to college. Nobody would have cared, you know, but it was because of, the love that you had and the testimony you had for your mission that I was like, there's a lot to this. There's so much like Drex has said, there's so much to experience. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever sat down and thanked you for that, but I thank you for that. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate it. Dave. (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny is the, probably the reason I said that was because I told you Julian Ava, when we found him, he's working on a car and he's sitting out there cussing. What does that sound like? Yeah, my, my dad. dad. <laughs> oh, my dad too. <laughs> right. But it was my dad. I, I felt like he was a lot like my dad. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I felt like there was just an understanding that we, I had. And so I had that experience. Why wouldn't you, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's the same thing. I, I, that's I'm the same thing did. I would tell, I, t- I would tell any of my young men going out, you will find people on your mission that are, are much like people you already know. Yeah. And again, like Drex said, if you look at them from the outside, you know, you might pass on that moment, but there's always opportunities to serve. And those moments in which you do change you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. When you can look at those people with love 
as you would a father or as a family member. It changes things quickly on your mission. It goes from missionary work to just, I'm going to witness this miracle and hopefully see something happen in their lives. Um, this has been an awesome podcast. I've learned so much. There's been so many yeah. good nuggets of information. It's been so awesome to have one, a companionship, but also the reflection years later and you guys being able to see how things have gone. Um, thank you for your service. Would, would you mind bearing a brief testimony in, in Castellano? I should probably go first because Drex will be better. Than me. <laughs> I was, I was about to say, I was about I to say to no it. until you said Castellano. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we've learned. We've learned. Yeah. All right. Um, see, they can edit out the silences. That's good. So that's that's good. good. I right? can't edit out the tears. Yeah, though. You can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mi testimonio es muy simple. Que yo sé que Dios vive y sé que Jesucristo es el camino. Jesucristo, todas nuestras bendiciones vienen por y para Jesucristo. Y lo amo y sé que Él me ama a mí, pero también que Él ama a toda la gente en todos los países en la misma manera en que Él me ama a mí. Y sé que esto es, es su iglesia y que Él llama a profetas en nuestro día para uh, guiarnos y, y darnos el mensaje de Jesús. Y sé que si los sig seguimos, um, Estaremos bien con, Jesús, con, con el Señor. Y sé que el libro de Mormón es verdadera. Es, es la verdad. Y, y sé que um, las familias pueden ser eternas. Y eso digo en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. Amén. Bueno, las cosas que sé... Yo sé que Dios me conoce. Yo sé que Dios conoce cada uno de sus hijos. Yo sé que Dios ama a cada uno y que me ama a mí. Este, este uh, conocimiento es es la verdad más importante que yo sé. Todo el resto de las cosas de que tengo convicción y testimonio se basan en este, en este uh, realidad de que Dios vive y me, y me ama. Yo sé que Dios demostró su amor por el don de su Hijo Jesucristo, quien me dio un ejemplo perfecto. Uh, aunque sea muy imperfecto yo, yo, uh, cada día trato de ser más como él. Y estoy agradecido por que por la expiación yo puedo tratar cada día 
de uh, hacer mejor que hice ayer. Y uh, yo tengo un testimonio del libro de Mormón. Leer el libro de Mormón, uh, lo, para mí, es la manera más rápida de traer el Espíritu en mi vida. Yo, yo no necesito las letras y las palabras. Yo necesito el Espíritu. Y, y mientras yo leo las Escrituras, ese Espíritu viene a mí y me ayuda en mi vida. Uh, estoy muy, muy agradecido por el privilegio de servir uh, una misión. Uh, estoy... Uh, yo tengo mucha fe y esperanza en, en el futuro de la iglesia porque yo sé que cada día salen más misioneros. Yo sé que la, la experiencia, los, las experiencias que están pasando son muy similar uh, al que pasó Elder Haynes y yo. Y por eso siempre uh, el futuro de la iglesia será brillante porque es, es verdad, es real, cambia personas y es la manera de ser más que Jesucristo. Y digo eso en el nombre de él, de Jesucristo. Amén. 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 Uh, was that like the last time both of you testified in the same room? Probably. I, <laughs> I, I haven't heard Drake speak Spanish in a long time. We, when we went back and visited in 20, oh, that's true. 2011, that's true. we were sitting there at church and they asked us to come up and be, oh, the, wow. be the speakers. Yeah. And we're like, <laughs> speakers. They were like, this is just like on the mission. Yeah. You know, you show up and they're like, speakers didn't come today. Can you guys speak? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was, yeah. And uh, that, But that's the last time that in Spanish wow. I've heard you know, they speak. Yeah. It was the interesting thing. When we went back to church, they split up for priesthood. And at the time... I was an elder and they split up for elders and high priests and Drex had been a high priest. He'd been in a bishopric, but I hadn't. So I'm, you know, I guess I was probably about 35 or something and still an elder. Mm -hmm. All of our converts were all high priests. <laughs> <laughs> so they, those guys had uh, advanced further in the priesthood than I had, which was cool. That is cool. Well, thanks again for coming in and I, I'm appreciative that you guys shared your testimonies. I hope that this is something that your kids can listen to and reflect on and that, you know, yeah, this definitely. is recorded for them. And I think of our listeners, you know, share your testimony, share your experiences. We hope that you've come and And if you're going to go on a mission, we hope that this has helped prepared you and excited you. If you've served, we hope this has reminded you of the miracles. And if you haven't served or if you just enjoy, please know that miracles are still happening today, every single day. Um, Zach, any, any announcements or anything to close this out? Oh, it's exactly what Drex said in his testimony. I, I speak Portuguese, but I understand Spanish. He has faith in the future of the church, knowing that the same things he experienced on his mission, people are experiencing today. Um, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. That's hereby called, and we will post an episode next Sunday. Yep. Thank you.